Once upon a midnight hazy, while I pondered, weak and lazy, over many a quaint and curious download of profanic lore, while I nodded, nearly snoozing, suddenly came sounds of boozing, as of sanity's great losing, shambling to my chamber door. Tis some podcast, I muttered, rambling at my chamber door. Only this and nothing more. To the internet, my dreams went faring in search of geeks drunkly swearing o'er forgotten gems and blights most wearing of television which came afore. Not just the language most profane which vexed and taxed my sleeping brain, but misremembered dates and names not fact-checked like that was some chore. Tis some northerners, I muttered, podcasting at my chamber door. Only this, and nothing more. Tonight, on Peggy's Haunt Cast. You're right, it is no laughing matter. And in my opinion, shit, no pegs. Thank you very much indeed, I'll take an absinthe and I'm away home. <laughs> the theme tune. Yes. Away. This is this is marvellous, this. I have to say, I, I'm glad that I was sitting on the toilet when I was watching this. <laughs> That's right, I remember I remember they released it as a single, didn't they? That's life, where you see belt, where you see belt, where you see belt. That's life, where you see belt, where you see belt, or it's not. <laughs> All right. Hello and welcome to the final Halloween special of the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour. I'm Dr. Velvet. I am Blackout. And we're here once again to talk about some Halloween deli. Yes, greetings, child. Thank you for joining us for our cacophonous cultural critique of vintage television, where Britain's best-loved battle axe is never far from our minds, because here all twisted roads lead to the Howling Mountain. If you drag yourself over to PeggyMountPod.com, info and links for the episodes we're talking about is in the show notes right there. You can find us on the socials, get in touch to scream into the void, or suggest programmes you'd like us to cover. Before we turn the reactor up to nine and wait for the lightning to strike Dr Velvet, I've got to ask, where's that drinks trolley how? Uh, that's a very good question. Let me just uh, ring for service, as we have become accustomed to doing. Right, you are. There we are. Right on cue. Enter. Ah, the trolley is back. We've got rid of the tray, and what a selection! What a selection! Um, blackout. Do you see anything that uh, befits your mood? Mm, I certainly do. I, uh, I think I'll go with. A black sheep, as uh, as well as a cheeky tickle from the uh, the dead man's fingers. Ah, there you go. Very nice. All right, I'm going to go for... Well, bearing in mind, I'm just remembering the last episodes and what we covered the last episode, and I still haven't got over, 
Emus or live pink windmill show. So, Lump, do me a favour. Pass me the absinthe, please. There you go, Master. Thank you very much indeed. Right, that's smashing. Okay, Lump, off you go. We have much to do. Thank you, Masters. I hope it doesn't poison you. Are you sure he's only on minimum wage? I'm not sure. They are a really nice pair of corduroy trousers. (laughs) He seems very jaunty, that's all. He does, doesn't he? Maybe because it's the last Halloween show. Who knows? Anyway, let's move on and let's do what we normally do in the show, but let's not so much dig up the past as see what's going on today. The Monsters Today was a revival sitcom of the classic 1964 comedy series. It was produced in 1988 by MCA for audiences in the US and crossed the Atlantic shortly afterward. The characters of Herman, Lily, Eddie, Grandpa and Marilyn all returned to the then-contemporary setting after spending 22 years in suspended animation due to one of Grandpa's inventions going wrong. To get the full setup here, we watched the unaired pilot episode, Still the Monsters After All These Years. When the family awaken a new decade, their dilapidated house is up for sale due to two decades of missed payments, and of course they're flat broke. Surely this is no laughing matter. You're right, it is no laughing matter. And in my opinion, shit, no pegs, thank you very much indeed, I'll take an absinthe and I'm away home. <laughs> Before we get yes. stuck into this, I've got to ask. Yes. Mm-hmm. No. Growing up in the, uh, let's call it the 80s, because this was mainly... 88, isn't it? Yeah, this was 88, but in terms of the original programming, it was mainly dumped onto Channel 4 and BBC 2, if I recall. So when... it was it was shown across here. I'll tell you a little story about the monsters and how I know of them. Uh, me and a, a very good friend of mine, uh, we inherited some t- annuals from the 60s, some uh, some books, some an- Thunderbird annuals actually. And in right. there, there was a comic, there was a comic strip called The Monsters. Right. And we were thought, oh, this is marvelous. And then, on investigation, we were told it was a TV series. We thought it was just a comic strip in the book. Mm-hmm. And um, because we did love all things horror and things back in the day, yeah. it was like, oh, fascinating, fascinating. <gasps> and then, 1982, Channel Four. Right, get you. Broadcasts. And Channel 4 didn't have a lot of programmes, but what they did do is import a lot of old American sitcoms. And we finally saw The Munsters, The Addams Family, Get Smart, so many. Ah, I was going to say, I think you might have answered my question then. Were you a Munsters kid or an Addams Family fan? Because they were very much the uh, the Beatles and the Stones of their sort of genre, weren't they? They were, and I'm afraid I was both. That sounds like a massive cop-out, but it isn't. I like them both for different reasons. Yes. No, that's fair enough. I was always traditionally more of a... Yeah, more of a Monsters fan. It sort of felt more like fun. I'm talking about the original iteration. I'm not talking about this. Should we get on to this? Um... Yeah, this is uh, this is appallingly acted by people who apparently haven't seen a single episode of The Monsters for character reference. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) At all. Well, well, you see, Grandpa uh, gives it his all. I will say that in the in the first thirty seconds, 
when the, when this episode first starts, when this pilot episode first starts, yeah. it's promising. We get a we get a shot of the house, exterior shot of the house, and it with a little caption saying nineteen sixty six. Yeah, the first what sort of five ten minutes um, is all sort of shot in black and white, and there's a yeah, whole yeah. lot of post production laid over it to make it look like chunky old footage. Yeah, it's kind of working fine until again the cast start speaking. You're like, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, if this was a one-off sketch on, like, Saturday Night Live or something like that, I can see why this would work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I sort of feel like you should be trying to match it. Whatever, guys, whatever. You carry on. You play the characters that you think you know. Go on, we're watching. Yeah, yeah. Herman shrank. Yes. (laughs) And the the voice is stupid. Yeah. Is that an impersonation of Fred Gwynn? Because if no, it is... It's, no, it's, this is what I mean. It's absolutely not. This is someone who's seen a picture of Fred yeah. Gwynn and gone, I think I know what he'd sound like. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Nah. No, yeah. no, no. Then we have this stupid, stupid little section where there, there, there's this... They speed up the film. They're in and out of the coffins. Oh, they keep, They keep doing that. They keep running to, like, the fast-forward... To the point where I'm yeah. thinking, well, I'm pretty sure the... Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong, the pilot's only like 15 minutes long. I think I would have enjoyed it more had I watched it in three minutes. Agreed with that. Uh, effectively, the Munsters family are put in stasis. They wake up 22 years later. They're disturbed by some people who break into the house. I'm sorry, but someone would have done it long before now. Like, But yeah. they're going to knock the Munsters house down to make a parking lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're wandering about the house, and the younger builder goes downstairs, to, opens these coffins, discovers the monsters lying in there dormant, and runs through the house and through a wall, scared, terrified. A scene, or or at least a, a device used many times in the original sitcom, which was well executed then. Um, but what it, what they managed to do is, they're so pleased with this set. Every excuse they get, they have characters running about from room to room, yeah, to show it, to show it off, to showcase their their hard work. And I'll be honest, they did a cracking job on the set, mind. I will say that. It's it's wonderful. My first critique of the whole thing is put it back in black and white. What you think you should have done the whole thing in black and white? Absolutely. The first scene set in 1966 where they basically go to sleep in black and white and wake up in colour mm. that I get that that works it works you know it sets up the stick of the whole programme perfectly mm. it should be better than this shouldn't it really I mean yeah. if you're going to revisit that at all mm. you know assuming that yeah somewhere down the line someone's going to put a green stamp on this and go yeah yeah go for it do it and you can't talk them out of it that aspect of it should work better I don't know it's yeah it's a it's an odd one. This is nowhere See, near as appalling as the actual program went on to be. No, I agree with that. I agree with that. See, but a lot of people, you know, back in the day when the monsters were, the monsters was made into two movies and they were in color, a lot of people hated that. Ah, uh, okay. Um, there was a lot of outcry about that. But uh, but anyway, that aside, you're right. This this as a pilot for the forerunner to an appalling, appalling series. The monsters today was. I remember the day I first saw it. It was a Saturday morning, and this was broadcast on ITV at yeah. 11.30. Uh-huh. 
No, it wasn't. It was 12.30. It was after the chart show. There you go. Right. Okay. And and 12.30, the Munsters today. What the hell is this? I said, reading the TV Times. And I tuned in. You know what? I've, I've, I've got to... I've got to play this part of the theme tune. Here we go. We went to sleep many years ago and we woke up with a brand new show. Instantly, I wanted to nail me head to the floor. It's a, it's a bit of fourth wall breaking, isn't it? <laughs> it's it's a it's a bit of horseshit, is what that is. And then you hear Herman in the first scene that I saw in episode one. <laughs> off. <laughs> I got ten minutes in, and I loved the monsters. I got ten minutes in. Get it off. Oh God! That's God. We said John John Shook, who plays Herman, is absolute best one in the world. Absolute crap. No one else here was much better. Not. For like you know a long term project, God alone knows what Lee Merriweather's mortgage repayments were like that she agreed to be in this. But John Shook isn't even trying to be Fred Gwynn. No, you know maybe that's the thing. Don't try and be like the original cast because they're legends. Don't try because, all right, I'll tell you what then. I'll be an American Frank Carson. <laughs> what I don't quite get is at the start where you've got the um the guy who's looking at buying. The house, Mr. Preston, he's there with his. What is that like? An assistant, a I'm decorator, assuming, yeah. a sidekick. Mm. He's walking around and again, sort of putting holes in walls and da da da. I'm like, what the fuck is this? Even when it's on point and achieving what it sets out to do, all it's achieving is being a shit daytime sitcom. Is yep. this genuine question? Is this an actual kids program like Clarissa or Saved by the Bell? Because that would explain the exaggerated staging and the chronic overacting throughout. I was under the impression that in the United States, at least, this was presented, you know, as a sort of early evening family type show, gather everyone around the set. Yeah, just who were its demographic? You know what? My my guess is they've just aimed this at at an existing fan base and, and hoping to drag some new fans in. I am assuming that the audience was there for this being filmed. I don't if know. That's that, that's it, that's ca- that's canned laughter to me. If it's canned, then that makes perfect sense. That's canned. That's right, definitely okay. canned. Okay. Without. I know generally, again, with American shows, if it's live, they'll go out of their way to tell you it's live during the you know the end of the title sequence. We know that the monsters today was absolute shit. That was mm-hmm. tried and tested. But the pilot that they make, right? That's the taster that the production company go out hawking around the networks, isn't it? I know, yeah. Now, it's not necessarily going to be the best episode which ever gets made, but it has to be strong enough to be a proof of concept to get the show off the ground. Yeah. Who who watched this pilot and gave it the green light? The 1980s sort of excuses some of its corniness because it's mm. like half being very much a late 80s sitcom, half harking back to an era where that corniness was more sincere. Pretty much everyone in the Munster today looks embarrassed to be there, and rightly yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. I will give them some credit because they threw in a few nods back to the old series, and they did it well. Herman looks in the mirror; it smashes. Spot who lives under the stairs. The effects were pretty good. Right. That—that's the only, and that and the set. You know what? They—they're they're decent. You do—you do, you do like the set, don't you? 
I really do like the set. I thought it was cracking because they did. I I adored that house and that set when I was a kid, and I well, was they clearly looking... paid the set designers and not the writers. Yeah, and not the cast. So yeah, <laughs> um, appalling. I don't know whether there's a bit of a curse on the monsters or not because uh, a few years ago they tried to um, bring it back again in a different vein as a as a drama. Oh, did they? Uh, with... Oh god, that passed me by. Okay, it doesn't oh, surprise it... me, but. Eddie Izzard uh, was cast as Grandpa. The pilot was aired, and uh, it, it didn't get taken up. It was appalling. But mm. they were going to run it like some kind of, um, yeah, like a, a more of a drama than anything right. else. It, all about acceptance and all the rest of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, hmm. Yeah. Well, the original show ran for 70 episodes over two seasons mm-hmm. and two years. Yeah. Now, since the Munsters today managed 73 episodes over three seasons in three years, that arguably means it was more successful. I know, right? Not better, just more successful. Yeah. Do you know what killed the Munsters in 1966? No. Batman. Oh, I thought you meant like literally as within the story of the no, thing no, that no, no, killed no. them in the last episode. Was there Sorry, an ending? No. Was there an ending to the final episode, or did it just not get picked up again? It just didn't get picked up again. No, no. Okay. Um, the, the, the network decided they wanted to throw all their money at Batman, Adam West's Batman. So it was... Uh, Ironically, another one of my favourite shows of all time. Um, so I was I was divided in two camps there. But Batman killed Herman Munster. So ironically, Lee Merriweather had some sort of hand in the thing that originally killed the Munsters and the thing which then shat on their grave. You know what? Yeah. we could. You could have gone up the mountain to say that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. How many pegs are you going to throw at the line in disgust none, for this? None. Zero, absolutely None. zero. Absolute zero. How Properly dare they zero. insult? How dare they insult <laughs> something so hallowed as the monsters? <laughs> Utterly vile, 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 vile. Welcome to our Halloween special, everyone. <laughs> you know that Ken likes this, right? Producer Ken. Loves Ken. It. Yeah. Ken loves <laughs> it. Well, he, he doesn't mind it, but yeah, we were talking earlier. He doesn't mind it. Okay. <clears throat> um, me personally, I'm giving it. Two because I think the idea is there, but yep. little, little else. Frankly, it's you know, yeah, 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 yeah. No, Bad no execution, bad. and it went on for far, far too long. Something this appalling should have been dropped literally halfway through the first season. But there we have it. More importantly, mm. how many steps would it take you to yodel up the mountain? Well, I can do it in five. Mm, okay. <laughs> Okay, I hope you brought your hiking boots because we're in for the long haul. Right, The Monsters Today stars Lee Merriweather, who provided voice work for Metal Gear Solid 4, along with Phil Lamar, who appeared in Pulp Fiction, of course, as did Brona Gallagher, who cropped up in The Phantom Menace, with Brian Blessed, who starred in Zed Cars, next to Shirley Dixon who appeared in the Desirable Residence episode of You're Only Young Twice with... Peggy Mal. Six skeins of Silco went into that tray cloth, and what have I got to show for it? Lovely stuff we got there in the end. I'm knackered. I need to lie down. (laughs) Don't lie down just yet. Let's hear it. Okay, slightly shorter, but the boots are still on. The Monsters Today stars John Shook, who appeared in the 1970 MASH movie with Donald Sutherland, 
who was in Dr. Terror's House of Horrors, along with Roy Castle, a star of 1975's Legend of the Werewolf, next to Ron Moody, who appeared in the first episode of The Harry Seacombe Show, alongside Peggy Mount. I still haven't heard from Buckingham Palace. I like it, I like it. I'm just going to make a note, actually, that we need to review Highway. Right, that's fine. All right, good. That was the Munsters today. Let's see what we can buy today as we have a look at some things to buy today. Make Halloween fun with one-stop shopping at Woolworth or Woolco for your Halloween needs. Costumes from $1.83 to $3.99, like Six Million Dollar Man, Bionic Woman, Superheroes, Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, and a new favorite for girls, Holly Hobby. You can get wrapped candies of every kind, bubblegum, lollipops, fun-sized candy bars. Get this Halloween record, sounds to make you shiver just $1.89. Make Halloween fun and easy. Make just one stop at Woolworth or Woolco. Come a little closer, madam. I want to tell you about something your children will love. Monster vitamins. They're fun. They're screaming meanie. Babbly bat. Monster mobile. Monsters taste terrific too, mother. Your children should get vitamins by eating right, but when they don't, mother, monsters and monsters plus iron sure help. My children love them. Right, kids? Right! In a Weebles haunted house, Weebles wobble all about, and it's a real exciting place to be. A smiling ghost with glowing face has a secret hiding place, and that's not all, there's plenty more to see. Because a Weebles haunted house is a great place to be. Weebles haunted house, including glow-in-the-dark Weeble ghost from Ramper Room. There we go. Lots of the things to buy. Fancy any of those, Blackout? I do. I'm going to be sending Lump out for some of them later. I'm going to send him out for something for me, actually. Because at the minute, my house... Oh, what a horror. Tell you what I need. A fucking hammer. House of Horror was a 13-part anthology series made by Hammer Films for ITV. Each episode covers a different aspect of folklore or the supernatural, with an absolute wealth of the acting talent of its time. Tonight we've watched Children of the Full Moon, although it's hard to think that that title hasn't robbed the next 50 minutes of any kind of dramatic reveal. Celia Gregory and Christopher Kazanov star as a couple whose car breaks down in the Somerset countryside. When they find their way to an overgrown manor house nearby, Diana Dawes is there to bid them a warm welcome. Her little ones, however, are a little harder to get along with. This episode was broadcast on the 1st of November 1980. Hallowmas, the Feast of All Saints, Samhain. Which means if you're listening to the episode of the Peggy Man Calamity Hour on the day it's released, then tomorrow, Children of the Full Moon hits its 40th anniversary. You can celebrate in style by watching this at home and taking a drink every time someone says mutton broth. You'll be arsled before all the kids have turned up on screen.
And you're not wrong. I felt like I'd tasted a bucket full of it by the time this episode had finished. <laughs> without a doubt. We start off with quite a... Well, we start off with a juxtaposed scene of what we think is a sweet little girl uh, uh-huh. si- singing all things bright and beautiful in a meadow. How lovely. Accompanied by two growling Alsatians. Um, and, yeah, a couple of seconds later, no, she's leaning over a dead sheep and she's got blood all over her face like a mad woman shit. We know we're in like, for a ride here. I love that someone at Hammer Films has gone, can we get a couple of wolves? No, we can't. Uh-huh. Can we use Alsatians? They look a bit like wolves. Well, they look like wolves if you've never seen any dogs before and you've only heard about dogs. Let's do that. Let's get a couple of Alsatians and pretend they're wolves. Are we going to put any kind of hair dye on to make them grow? No, no, no. Just Alsatians with a little girl. Don't worry. She'll be terrifying enough and the dead sheep will really look like a dead sheep. Uh, the intro, I mean, it's Hammer. You know, they're one of these franchises. You know what you're going to get. I need to I need to clarify now. I am here for this. Mm. I know I've started taking the bit out of it. I am absolutely here for what this episode is doing. It it, it, it all it all works. But before we get any further, the theme tune. Yes. Howie. <laughs> this is this is marvelous this. I have to say I I'm glad that I was sitting on the toilet when I was watching this. <laughs> I'm just pleased you've managed to get the TV in there, finally. For the love of it, you've finally got that shelf up. Well, I wasn't using the drinks trolley for anything else. All right, okay, fair, fair. Um, I actually danced. <laughs> I got up and danced. This was fantastic, this. Yep. Oh, my goodness me. Anyway, theme tune aside. Actually, what I will say is this. There was a little part of the theme tune that reminded me of the gentle touch. Do you remember the gentle touch with the Jill Gascoins? I do. Listen. Here's the Hammer House of the Horrors. And then here's this bit from The Gentle Touches. There you go, see? I've got such an acute ear for such things. Anyway, I love this bit. We, we, we like exposition. We like foreshadowing. Their device is used in all writing. Mm-hmm. Well, there should be, but they're not always. Um, there's Tom and and it's Sarah, isn't it? Yes, Sarah. Tom and Sarah are in the BMW, and they're they're away to the cottage, to uh-huh. a cottage, friend's cottage for a weekend. Yeah. And uh, I'll I'll tell you now that Tom is wearing a beautiful mustard polo neck. <laughs> I literally got those words in my notes. Literally. <laughs> it it's absolutely beautiful. Uh. Can I um can I can I read directly from my notes a minute to it. prevent me repeating it later? Christopher Kazanov, rocking the absolute fuck out of those fawn action flares, mustard yellow polo neck, and a beige driving jacket. Absolutely. If there's anything that more scripts need, it's that combination. He's yes, it is. Fucking I, fantastic. I watched that and I thought, why am I not him? Ah, uh, yep. I I wanted to be him or want to be him still to this <laughs> very day. Anyway, through through various dialogue, we 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 of course uh establish the fact that the cottage is in the middle of nowhere. Um, or Somerset, the, as it's known. Uh, you're right, yeah. <laughs> the car then seems to develop a mind of its own, and it goes, Aka! The car uh-huh. cracks on. Here's what struck me. Sarah. Oh, I knew something like this was going to happen. Is that right, Sarah? So, a week ago, when you knew that you were going to go away for the weekend with Tom... 
Uh-huh. Um, you was you were you were at home maybe I don't know ironing some corduroys or yeah, maybe yeah. maybe ironing that very mustard polo neck ready uh-huh, uh-huh. to pack and etc. While you've got Pebble Mill on the telly yeah. and you're just watching, you're just thinking about it and think, oh, we're going to have such a lovely time. I just know the car's going to develop a mind of its own and go career and round some country lanes in a death-defying uh-huh. way. What are you on about? What kind of a line is that? I knew something like this was going to happen. Sackless. <laughs> well, two things here. One. Mm. Absolute fair play to them for not using speeded up footage. I agree. I agree. Because I thought when the, when the car starts belting along at eighty down a country road, I'm just like, ah, oh, we're gonna we're gonna see this like cranked up at double speed. No, 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 no. They've if they've sped it up a little, then it's not noticeable. That's fine. Um, and the next bit, her her premonition maybe wasn't quite as accurate as she says, because Christopher Casanova. I'm, I'm not doing character names. Christopher Casanova's like, cross your arms and cover your face. That's his advice. Yes. Not yes. maybe put your seatbelt on. That's right. Yes, I'd, we see. We see I'd him in three cars in this. Three mm. different cars. There's not a fucking seatbelt to be seen. I'll tell you why. That's because Esther Ranson was nowhere to be seen because she brought it in. They had to wear them. <laughs> that's life. Hey, dear Ma- God. That, that's life. Made it. Made it. Um, made it legal. There you are. That's right, I remember, I remember they released it as a single, didn't they? That's life, where you see belt, where you see belt, where you see belt. That's life, where you see belt, where you see belt, or it's not. <laughs> yes. And that was how the law was passed. Indeed, <laughs> indeed. The law according to Ramson. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. anyway, the car does 90 miles an hour and then it stops does. for no reason. We think there's going to be a massive crash. There's not. It just sort of mm-hmm. pulls over into a... A little bit of a sort of a lay-by, and then goes up the hill, and then comes back down again, the hill, and then they come out and they're walking in the woods. What happens next? Well, they're they're in these woods, and they they're walking through the woods, and just because they just, uh, she says, "Let's use a phone." A phone? Where? He says, uh-huh. and off they go. They go traipsing through the woods, which as they travel through, suddenly become very misty. Yes, they do. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and they anyway, they come to this old house. Uh, not a sign of a double denim clad singer anywhere to be seen. But they knock on the door, and who opens the door? Well, it's the Diana door. It is. <laughs> is um, is Diana doors playing Anne Flo here? Yes, she is. She's playing. If they did, if they did Bod in live action, this would be Absolutely. exactly what I would want. Absolutely, Diana Dawes. She's just missing the bun, really, like the, the yeah. pronounced bun. But mm-hmm. um, Diana Dawes in a grey wig and a tabard. Yep. Yeah. I mean, versatile just doesn't come close. At first, at first, I thought she was over-egging it a bit. Well, I did. I'll tell you why. Because I was convinced that she was being paid a pound for every time she said, dear. <laughs> come on, dear. Come on in, dear. There you go, dear. What do you mean, dear, Howie? <laughs> well, then I realised that she's just making up for those kids who resolutely cannot act at all. Don't get me wrong, the children of the full moon are definitely better than the children of the pink windmill, but even so. I, I tell you what, I do need to check, though. I need to check whether you can make Pinot Noir again in Somerset. Again, are you looking at my notes? This is literally the next thing in my notes going down the list here. <laughs> right. <laughs> she's um, fair play to Diana Dawes. She's using her own, because she's from the actress, Diana Dawes is from uh, Swindon, so she's basically using her own accent. That's yeah, fine, yeah. no problem with that. Um yeah. 
she's gone through the full yeah the full gamut of using deer as punctuation. Then she offers Sarah a, a, a nice a nice glass of red wine, and mm. she says that they grow their own grapes, which will be yeah I'm sure that'll be great in the uh, misty perpetually overcast countryside that we've seen so far. They're going to smell nice. That's right. Um, and then she refers to the uh, to the beverage in choices, Pinot Noir. Yep. Now, given that she can't pronounce the wine, I dread to think how it tastes. <laughs> Cut to Sarah eating mutton broth. Mutton broth. Yeah. They seem very calm, <laughs> Tom and Sarah, while they're eating the mutton broth, despite the fact that the children are sat in the same room as them and just staring at them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if, if I'd have been sat there, I would have literally picked up my empty bowl of mutton broth because I would have finished it first. I don't believe in wasting food. Right. And slammed right. it on the floor and going, and... <laughs> I've got to say the the writing here is hammy as absolute fuck, but it's quite nicely shot and it's quite nicely directed for what yeah. it is. There's a lot done. There's a lot done with not very much, whether that's camera angles, shadow play, and the absolute commitment of the grown-up cast. They managed to inject some great tension, and I'm not going to lie, a couple of moments of genuine fright, if not horror. Let me tell you right now and see if it's in your notes. But I'm sorry, they're taken to the bedroom by the uh-huh. Diana door, uh-huh. and she says those fateful words that you hear in so many of Hammer's productions. Don't leave the room. Don't wander about, my dear. <laughs> right, fair enough. <laughs> but you're talking about genuine moments of fear. When she opened that curtain yeah. and the werewolf was at the window, I, yep. I, I defecated my undergarments. Yeah, we're back to Dave Lee Travis in 321. Yes, we are. Oh, my God! Got that in me notes. <laughs> Shut up. You do in those moments. I do sort of wish they'd stuck to the creative approach. You know, the sort of less is more because it's like again, oh mate, this is where the makeup budget went. Isn't it? Okay, <laughs> absolutely. Oh <laughs> uh, dear. If you if you haven't watched it yet, then obviously there's going to be spoilers in this. There's a werewolf outside the window. That that's how that is. Ooh. But she's on the first floor. So what, has he got, like, 20-foot legs? Or is he on stilts? Or is he meant to have done what Christopher Kazanov does in about three minutes' time as he shinned up the drainpipe? Because why Why would he be doing that? He's directly... He's not hanging off the drainpipe. He's just staring in the window. A werewolf is creepy enough, but can you imagine a werewolf on stilts, though? That's even more creepy. So maybe they've cracked onto something there. And they're proper... They're, like, proper circus stilts. They're not, he's not, not the ones where, like, you hold the poles in your hands. Yeah. They, they just come out the bottom of his trousers. Lanky right. werewolf. Out of his corduroys, I imagine. All werewolves wear corduroys. That's in the rules. Yeah. Um, no, that's 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 cool. And then, and then, actually, when uh, when Tom has gone out of the window and down the drain pipe, whatever, um, and yeah. she's left alone in the room. Tell me again. The- tell tell, tell mm. me again why this happens. Is this because Diana Dozer said don't go out of the room, and they've taken that to mean don't walk out of the door? So he's gone. Well, I can leave by the window. She didn't specifically say not to climb down the drainpipe, did she? That must mean it was all right. No, it must have this, been, yeah. Um, I mean, but the, no, the door was locked. I'll ask a shrieking about something she's seen outside. So I think the thing I should do is climb outside. Yes, yeah. Well, yes, I'd have been locking the windows, mate. No way. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so this something something comes into the room uh, and attacks Sarah. We just see the silhouette, which is actually is not a bad effect. It's all right. And the, yeah. what chills me out is we cut to Diana Dore and the children watching uh-huh. that happening and that the smile. Nice 
The yes. smile on her face is absolutely blood-chilling. Uh-huh. It, it really is. No, Kraken, as you say, I agree with it completely. The cast is so invested in this. It's it's yeah. it's, it's wonderful. It really is. Uh, if we go from this, this, this dramatic scene, this end of second act, yeah. to we're in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Sarah is dismissing all of the events aside from the well, That's because rock. Christopher Kazanov is woken up in a bed in the hospital and he's like, what a, well, what, 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 what a terrible thing that was that happened. And uh, Celia Gregory's leaning over him, just going, ah, that, that was just a dream, that mind. Yeah. Holding, uh, a, holding the, a bowl of mutton broth going, don't know what you're on mutton, about. <laughs> yeah, mutton broth. Dream. And then, yeah, apparently they're both, they're both fine after that. They're, everything that's happened to them has been a, a weird sort of hallucination because they yeah. crashed the car when it did 100 mile an hour. And yeah, everything every, everything's fine, isn't it? Everything's normal. They 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 have a they have a date in the house. They do, and then she starts eating raw fillet. Apart, well, she's had mutton broth, obviously. But um, obviously, that's that's your star, isn't it? Mutton broth, isn't it? Yes. Uh, and then she starts eating raw fillet steak. We we have that we have the dinner seat, and she's away for the weekend. She's away. Um, mm-hmm. she, she starts off in the car, and as she's I... driving, is that a slug she's eating? Just after... <laughs> looks like she's putting a slug in her mouth. It really does. <laughs> Uh, anyway, Tom's twigged on. There's something wrong here. There's there's something not quite right. So he gives chase, <laughs> and off he flies. And you think, ah, she must have gone to the place where they grow Pinot Noir. He gets out of his car. He goes through the woods, and he happens upon the woodsman carrying an <sighs> axe. I thought they only did that in the Ladybird books. Ah, uh, he's wearing the proper shirt for it as well. The check shirt. He is. He is. I like how Diana Dawes has been overusing deer. He uses the word friend in every single sentence. Yeah, 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 yeah. Speaking yeah. in an accent, which suggests that this story takes place in that part of Somerset which contains Swansea. <laughs> right. All werewolves are Welsh. He's a wolf. That that's the uh, that's, that's the uh, the spoiler. Yeah, yeah he's, yeah, he's yeah. definitely a wolf. A very deft bit of editing, where we go yeah. from a a slightly sort of rugged and slightly hairy woodsman, warning Christopher Casanova. He's like, well, mine. Them, them flares, they're too slick for this part of the woods mine. And then the camera cuts away and it comes back and it, he's even more hairy, is he not? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. To the point where the, the wardrobe department have literally just took triangles of fur onto his <laughs> forehead and gone, you are a wolf now. That's how that works. <laughs> That's definitely what werewolves look like. And then, uh, yeah, Christopher Casanova is hacked with an axe and cut to <laughs> cut to the house. And uh, she gives birth. Sarah gives birth to oh, the... Oh, yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah, she's pregnant. We should have said that, shouldn't we? It's yeah, not a we proper should've... review. That's not what you're listening for. Yeah, she was she was pregnant when they from the hospital. Yeah. Not from the hospital, but after the hospital. She's like, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm pregnant. And obviously, yeah. obviously Christopher Casanova's just like, oh, that's fantastic because we're married in that and, you know, it's the 70s. Yeah, 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 great. And her being pregnant has been sort of a bit of a thing. That's why she managed to pass away eating raw steak. It's just like a, a thing that pregnant uh, people a, do. A, 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 pre- uh, a, a maternal craving, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They have that, yeah. Anyway, yeah, so- she has the baby at the at the end, right at the end. Do you, th- do you think this is going to be a, a happy ending? Is that what we had in mind? When Christopher Casanova's been faced off by a hairy axe man. Yes, well, boys and girls, we're talking the Hammer House of Horror. This is not uh-huh. Ladybird fairy tales, indeed not. Um, <laughs> no, he gets hacked to death by an axe and she dies in childbirth. So there we yep. are. <laughs> That's it. That's the end. That's the Happy end. Happy Halloween, everybody. Absolutely. <laughs> oh. 
That was a ride. That was almost as uh, turbulent a ride as the BMW trip down a country lane by Tom and Sarah at Indeed. the beginning of this episode. Loved it. Loved it. Um, how many Pinot Noir dipped pegs <laughs> are you going to place <laughs> in the bowl of mutton broth? <laughs> I'm going to pull out five dripping pegs out of nine. I do think that financial constraints mean this isn't all it could be, but it's decent enough for genre television of an era which wasn't trying to outsmart its audience. Fair play. How about yourself? It is what it is, this. Um, the the brand, in any way, it's Hammer, so you know what you're in for. It, it just, as I said earlier, uh, you know what to expect. It's already got a defined audience. So it's not, yes, of course, there are repetitive conventions, but that's what you're tuning in for. You expect certain things. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I mentioned, the cast are totally invested in this. It's a romp. Love it. Uh, I'll give this as, as I'm giving it a solid seven. Mm, fair play. Because what I'm getting at here is, you know what? It's a Saturday night. You've been out. You've had a few beers with your mates. You, you come home. You, you're caught mm-hmm. in the chip shop. You get some cotton chips. You come back home. You sit. Yeah. You open it. You open another can while you sit. What's it? You think, I will have the horror film on. And you put this on. This is what you want to watch. This is no, it, cracking. It absolutely is. Yeah, I'm. I've picked it apart, but I kind of enjoyed it. I just think uh, that other episodes in this series are better than this. Yeah, of course, of course. But this wasn't bad for what it was. Um, and it was. It's all right. Just before you, you know, zone out back in the 1980s, in uh-huh. your stay, in your in your stay press trousers and your slip ons while you're watching this. It's fine to fall asleep too. It's cracking. No, love it, love it, love it, love it. So if you want to go and see the full moon and you need to climb up the mountain, blackout, how many steps is it going to take you? I can do this in two. Oh, impressive. I'm all wolf ears. Children of the Full Moon stars Christopher Kazanov, who was in 1970's There's a Girl in My Soup, along with... Peter Sellers, who rolled up in 1980's Night of 100 Stars with Peggy Mount. He could sit down in the evening and then give her a hand. Well done, well done. To be fair, Night of 100 Stars, my goodness, who wasn't in it? Anyway, all right. How about yourself? Would you join me on the mountain? I can join you on the mountain, absolutely I can, because... Children of the Full Moon stars Diana Dawes, who was also in 1970s There's a Girl in My Soup. But more pertinently, she was also in 1980s Night of 100 Stars with Peggy Mounds. For three weeks I thought they were Jersey potatoes. <laughs> Lovely stuff. There that you is go. exactly the content we're all here for. Isn't it, though? Isn't it? That's a (laughs) clash of the titans there, right there. So there you have it. The Monsters Today and the Hammer House of Horrors, bringing us to the end of the last episode of our Halloween specials. Blackout's got your socials. Yes, thanks once again for creeping by. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email PeggyMountPod at gmail.com or we are at PeggyMountPod on the Twitter. You can find us by searching for the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour on Facebook. Don't forget to go to PeggyMountPod.com to check out links and show notes for this episode. Absolutely you can. It's as simple as that. And that's it from us for the time being. You'll hear from us very soon, perhaps sooner than you might think. But until the next time, thank you so much for listening. 
And remember, keep mountain. Peggy Mount Calamity Hour is a free podcast from iPool Media which holds production copyright. Opinions and recollections expressed are not to be taken as fact. The title and credit music is by Dr. Velvet. Audio segments from television programs are presented for review and informational purposes only under fair use, and no ownership of these is claimed or implied by this show. For more information, visit PeggyMountPod.com.